Welcome to The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. Woo! What's going on, y'all? It is Friday and Cinco de Mayo. Happy Cinco de Mayo for all of you out there that are celebrating today. Tequila and margaritas on deck. Let me know where you're tuning in from in the chat. Change your chat settings down to uh, everyone so that we can see where you're at. Shout out to Kirsten. We appreciate you. Seattle in the house. Grand Rapids, Michigan, always representing. Hey, Iowa, what's going on? Uh, a lot of good hunting in Iowa. I don't know if you've ever been out that way. Uh, the Midwest has really big deer to take shots at. Just saying. Shout out to France and Brazil. Our international crowd is dope. Let's go, Kyle. You got some supporters in here, buddy. <laughs> That's good to see. I've got a friendly crowd. Yeah, I love a good friendly crowd. Shout out to my man, Dan Drucker. What's going on, buddy? I see you. Let's reconnect soon. I miss you. Let's uh, make this happen. Uh, Ottawa, Canada, our Canadians show us love. Vancouver in the house, I see you. Well, we're going to go ahead and launch this question right here. This is kind of how we tailor the conversation as we move forward. Uh, so go ahead and let us know, what are you? Are you an SDR? Are you an AE? Uh, are you in management? You know, this is kind of what we do, how we do. Welcome back to the Sell Better Daily Sales Show. We bring you daily sales advice to help you sell better. Today, you are here to increase your sales quota by learning about buyer psychology. I wish I'd have got into this sooner. My man Kyle is back from MongoDB. Welcome back to the show, my friend. It's great to be back, James. Thank you. You want to go follow, the, follow this man? You'll learn a lot from the things that he does. He's a trial by fire guy. If he tells you to do something, it's because he's been doing something for a while and he learned that it works. Before we kick things off, if you're looking to level up, you know that we've got you covered. So check out the Daily Sales Show. This is where you can learn about the upcoming shows and select the ones that are most relevant to you and your role. Just scan that QR code and look at the Daily Sales Show that's coming up. You can also go to sellbetter.xyz and learn what it is to become a member here at Sell Better. That's what we want from you is to join our ranks and become the best seller possible. Explore our YouTube channel. You can get all our tips in there. I want to give you guys a big a big intro for these folks, okay? Shout out to our newest partner, Vouch. Video is cornerstone in your sales process today. So for customer stories, sales velocity, team communications, recruiting, employer brand, Vouch is the best and the brightest in the business. Probably the brightest star in the SaaS sky right now, up and comer. Capture, edit, and share, and manage all your videos. We are dropping a link to get started for free inside the chat. So go and get it. Take a look at who's in the room right here. Shout out to the AEs, Look, looking to get them to buy. <laughs> I feel you on that. Let me tell you a little bit about what you guys are going to get today right here. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about pinpointing those motivations. Always tough to know. You might as well just ask. We're going to tell you how. Uh, top performers, why do they use this? How do they use it? Why does it help them so much? And then Kyle's going to give you three steps that you can start doing right now to get into buyer psychology. That's what you're going to get today. Kyle, when we talked earlier... There was a conversation that we had and you stated that most sellers are unaware that they are faced by a bias. This bias affects the sales cycle from start to finish. Talk to me about this bias. What happens to sellers today? Yeah, I, sellers are often excited and maybe a little bit nervous for sales calls. Most buyers are not looking forward to sales calls. Like no one wants to go spend time with an AE. So sorry, sorry for the, the bad news there. But what buyers have gone through is experiences where they have been pressured, they've been misled, they've had their time wasted. And so they go into any call with a new salesperson with these biases against them. And so from the beginning, they're not going to be listening to you that carefully in case you are going to waste their time. 
they're skeptical that you're going to be overselling, that you're going to be claiming things that aren't actually completely true. And maybe what you demo isn't actually in the product quite yet. And the roadmap is a little bit made up. And then the, the hardest part about this is as they begin to tune out, even the great things you say, they're not going to hear. So I think back some of the calls that I know James, where I feel like I just made an incredible point, like the selling point. And then five minutes later, the buyer asks a question. I go, oh, by the way, do you offer this? And it's the exact same thing I made the big point on five minutes earlier. It's like, yeah, didn't you hear my awesome example? And no, they didn't because I had confirmed their bias throughout the call by falling into the traps. So they tuned out, didn't hear it. They missed the point. And I'm sure that we've all lost a lot of deals because buyers didn't hear what we said. Yeah. You know, that's part of something that top performers do really well. This is how they overcome that bias. You stated to me that there are a few things that we can focus on before we even begin talking to prospects, before we start a sales cycle, realistically, not like the beginning stages, but like when there's real t real friction there, and we'll talk a little bit more about friction. But when, when this happens, you said, this is what the top performers do. So tell me how they do these things. Yeah. So uh, I've listened to a lot of calls and even the best reps often sound exactly the same as everybody else. So like every discovery calls, like let's do, uh, let's do intros. Then we'll talk about your role and we'll uh, talk about us, see if there is a reason to move forward. Every demo is high level overview, followed by some slides. And so what happens is the buyer is conditioned to feel like, well, this is just the same thing as I saw from the competitor's demo, or this is the same time I evaluated something else. There's no pattern interrupts to get the buyer to think, okay, this is actually different. I should give this salesperson more of my attention. As we capture that up front, then we're able to keep that attention by engaging with them, understanding the things that they don't want to hear, or they're afraid to hear, or afraid you're going to pressure them about, and uh, avoiding those. So you keep that attention. And as you do that, the benefit is the points that you want to make, they're actually going to hear it and then remember it. So when you're not in the room later on, and somebody's saying, well, why would we go with X solution? They're remembering the differentiators, remembering the value, remembering the stories that you told that got them excited on that call. I'm liking how there's a tie-in to this uh, remember factor. You know, it's really easy. I think a lot of decision makers see a lot of things. They agree to a lot of calls to, they can look at products and it's very like passing in the wind. So what can we do to be different, right? I want to go over these one more time and I'm going to ask this question while we go over them, but this is the question, right? Think back to recent calls, everybody in the room, your buyers aren't listening. They're a little bit skeptical. Money points fall on deaf ears. That was the one that hit home for me, right? You make a good point. You're a little bit quiet and then suddenly they snap back into it, right? Uh, and that's because there's like this awkward silence. I felt like I experienced this quite a bit in my sales career. Do you experience this? Think back to your calls right now. Uh, let's talk about this for a second. Uh, you had two scenarios that you gave me and I kind of want everybody to hear how these two scenarios play out. You said bias will show itself very commonly in a discovery call and on a demo. So talk to us about how this happens and the things that buyer that sellers need to be aware of in these two situations that they're commonly in. Yeah. So you may have heard the phrase uh, seller deficit disorder, but a big part of that is your buyer doesn't think you understand them, right? And so they, they agree to the call because they're actually in a decent need of a solution that you might be able to help with. But their first fear 
is I'm going to get on this call with this rep. They're not going to understand my job, my company, my challenges. So it's going to be really hard finding out if they can actually help me. And then as a seller, oftentimes the very first question we ask is, well, tell me about your role. And that immediately validates their fear like, oh my goodness, this rep knows nothing about me. Why are they asking me about my role? They should already know that. And now they're going to be tuned out from the conversation. Like when I'm asked that question, I don't even know how to answer. There's so many different parts of, of my role. I have no idea where to take the, the conversation. So that's just one example of the, the buyer single well, they're going to waste my time and not knowing much about me. And then you go ask a question that confirms that, that bias. Then on the, the demo standpoint, there I remember I, I sat through a bunch of presentations a, a, not, not too long ago, and they all looked so much the same, right? Like it was the same slide, same talk track, same customer logos. And so I just kept thinking, how are you different? How can you prove it? Why does it matter? But their fear as a buyer or their bias is, look, they're probably going to look very similar to the competition. And then your demo starts with a high level overview and you're showing kind of the table stakes functionality, which by the way, your competitor also offers. And so as soon as your buyer starts seeing your demo that they already saw in the last demo, you're validating the bias. This is the same. And now we're going to, in their mind, cut right to, well, which one is cheaper? Where can I get the better deal? Because there's not really any differentiation that I care about. I'm sure that all of us have been in discovery and demo situations where these things have played out. If you look at the results right here, you can see 83% of the voters say, yes, they've experienced these types of buyers. So what we're talking about is extremely common. For those 15% that said you're unsure, uh, the, you know, start picking up on these things. Excuse me. You could probably find the moments going back in your call, knowing what you know now from this show. You probably go back and you'll find those moments. That's what Kyle did. He went back and reviewed a lot of calls. That's one of the many tips that you're going to get today. Um, all right. So biases impact this transaction from start to finish. Uh, you gave me some things that were worth thinking about. And you said, I said, how would you suggest people get started in buyer psychology? And I think you have something that you recently released that would probably be helpful. So let's talk about that for just a minute. What can people get? Yeah. So I, uh, I've gotten way more focused on the buyer experience lately because i've thought back through my career understanding what the buyer was feeling and thinking is what accelerated my success the most and so i went and i built a you know, course all about buyer psychology the biases they have against you all the way from discovery through negotiation and how you can proactively overcome that bias so they actually hear what you say understand the differentiators and you can actually drive your point home, right? Because I, I can almost guarantee that if all of you actually landed the points you thought you were landing, you would win a lot more deals. The problem is the buyer bias is preventing you from landing a lot of those points. And the points you think you're making are actually not remembered after the call is over. All right. So we've got a link for you. Uh, what you want to do is you want to go to this link that we just dropped in the chat. There is a code there that you only get as a sell better attendee of this show. Uh, I'm not going to, I'm not, you know, not going to say it. Don't say it. Uh, don't share it. Go get this resource and get involved in buyer psychology. Now, for those of you that are going to do the course, that's great. For those of you that are like, okay, actions that I can do right now that are going to change things for me. These are some things that you can do. Break these down for everybody. How do these help people to get into their buyer's heads easier? 
I think empathy is often overused. So talk to me about getting in their shoes. Yeah, it's uh, sellers are often maniacal about how do I progress this deal to the next stage of my sales process. Mm. When the question you should be asking yourself is what information does my buyer need from me to make a good decision to move forward? right? When we shift that lens from what do I need to progress to what does the buyer need for me, that's a little bit of putting ourselves in their shoes to understand how they want to evaluate and how they're going to best understand the, um, the, the solution that I'm trying to, trying to help them with. Mm-hmm. This one that you have up here, really open discovery conversations. I put that in quotes because what does this mean? How do we disarm somebody to a point where they're willing to give me this information on my initial call or on a cold call where they've been like, yeah, I've got five minutes. What do you got for me, Kyle? What does it mean to get into a really open discovery conversation with these people? Yeah. Thinking back to the, the bias, the rep doesn't know anything about me. I'm going to go through the same questions I've always asked. What's what's your role? What does your company do? All, all that, that high level stuff. As soon as you show the buyer that you actually understand them to some degree and you understand the problems they're facing, that will immediately disarm them a little bit and remove that bias. Then when you're going through your discovery, uh, actually try to move away from the, the scripts, your little worksheet of all the questions you want to ask and actually try to have that conversation. Some of my favorite ways to do this is when I have questions, I try to add context. I try to teach something in tandem with the question that I'm asking. That way I'm not just barraging the buyer with question after question after question, which feels very much like a sales call versus a conversation, right? So um, I... Uh, I think one of my biggest breakers as a seller is when I took a lot of pressure off myself and decided to stop panicking about what I was going to ask next. I was more comfortable admitting when I was confused in a conversation. When the buyer said something that was really opaque or advanced, I wouldn't just say, okay, that makes sense, and then move on, pretend that I understood. I learned to just talk to them, as cliche as that sounds, but showing them what I know about them giving them examples of how my solution might be able to fit in their environment, and then doing further discovery to validate my point of view and correct my point of view gives us a very different call flow than your typical, I'm going to go ask these five questions and then vomit a presentation on them and then ask them for another call to follow up. Uh, one, one of the things that you pointed out was that oftentimes we end up scheduling calls and we haven't, we haven't verified that there's a need for another call. Uh, I think this happens a lot of times at the SDR level, but I think even at the account executive level, there's some tendency to be like, oh, we should reconnect next week. And nothing about the call was indicative that there should be another call next week. And you don't really have a clear path to an agenda. Something that that you said was patterns. Buyers pick up on patterns very quickly. And sellers have to realize what they're saying to put buyers on paths. How do people feel when you immediately share your screen? What's the expectation that they have? Can you do something that's outside of that expectation? Talk to me about experiences you've had with pattern interrupts being more intentional. So go back, go back and listen to a few of your calls and try to pick out things that you always say. If there are things that you always say, chances are another rep they're talking to are also saying the same things. So little, little things like, can you see my screen? Let's start with introductions. This sounds silly, but these little 
frequent phrases are the opposite of a pattern interrupt and they're putting your buyer right back to the state of mind where their bias is going to make a lot of the decisions for them. And so pattern interrupts are, and instead of saying, let's start with introductions for our team, I have my CS manager, I've got my tech sales rep, it's, hey, I want to introduce you to the CS rep. They were part of the account team that helped this similar company achieve this outcome that I think you care about. My tech sales rep, he's here because he just figured out an implementation for this organization solving the problem that we think you're trying to solve. Just that little tweak is a complete change in the buyer like, oh, this this sounds a little bit different. A little bit different is all it takes sometimes because you're looking for that break in the pattern that they're so used to. Uh, you told me about being flexible. I was like, you know, flexibility, definitely something you were like, no, it's not necessarily that flexibility doesn't exist. It's that the type of friction that people create is sometimes confusing. And then you said this thing, you said, when you remove unnecessary friction, you can go for tactical friction. I just want to pause on this with you for a minute, and I want you to give the difference and talk about some examples of unnecessary friction that's too common in a sales cycle, too common in a sales process between two individuals, a buyer and a seller, and then tactical friction, the type of friction that salespeople should be going after instead of that unnecessary friction that often causes people to run away screaming. Yeah, if you all are going to get one thing on the conversation today, I really, I really hope it's this, okay? Because a lot of people, when they hear it from me about, oh, like this buyer-centric approach, this buyer psychology, like, dude, why are you such a, a wimpy sales leader? You need to challenge the customer. You need to go take control of the deal cycle. I'm not saying being buyer-centric means being a pushover and it's giving them all the things that they want. You can keep control of the deal cycle while having the buyer-centric approach. So when I was, uh, I was trying to follow the rigid process or sales process and point on my face early in my career, I was trying to diagnose why. And I realized as I was trying to force next steps that fit my sales process, but not theirs, when I was trying to follow the exact call script I was given by my manager, I felt this really uncomfortable friction where the customer was like, this is great, but I don't care. Right? So I was falling in this trap of trying to force them down this path that was my process, but not their process. So things like, well, there's no way I'm going to show them any part of my product before I can do my full discovery, or I'm absolutely not going to share pricing or a price range until I can first prove value. That rigidity is going to send them looking somewhere else. They're going to go find a rep that will give them context to an earlier demo. They're going to go find somewhere that will give them a price range. They don't feel like they're going to go waste weeks evaluating a solution to find out that it's way outside of affordability, right? So what I found is as I removed this unnecessary friction by beating the buyer where they were, it opened up the door for my tactical friction where I could challenge them. I could challenge them on the required capabilities that they thought they needed to be successful. I could challenge them on what good actually looked like. I could even challenge them on if budget wasn't sufficient to solve the problem that they were trying to face. But if I try to do both, if I have all this unnecessary friction of I'm not doing this till you do this kind of a thing, and I challenge them on their thought process, their evaluation process, I'm not a challenger seller, I'm just a jerk. They're like, this guy is like, I don't want to talk to this guy. He's just pushy, he's arrogant, he thinks he knows everything. You can't have both. So choose tactical and you'll see a, a much better experience for you and the buyer. Well, I feel like giving the experience to the buyer here is what I'm highlighted. Uh, that That's what stands out to me in my mind is the fact that you're doing the, the, the right thing by creating the right type of friction in a deal. 
I think hide the ball is how I often describe this. I'm not going to do X until you do Y. That's how you put it. Many times I think we think this is the way. And sometimes we even think of like our give get model as this volleyball match where I'm trying to get points and you're trying to get points and I'm trying to keep points away from you and you're trying to keep points away from me. And this is not how progress gets made. <laughs> you're no. quite literally at a competition level with your prospect. Uh, I want to touch this point really quick, and then we're going to give three steps, but I want to prompt everybody before I do to get your questions in. Anything buyer psychology related, we are going to tackle. Uh, Kyle loves Q&A. I love Q&A. So make sure you throw it in there in the Q&A section so we can answer your questions about buyer psychology. This is something you said that I wrote down, and I wanted everybody to understand that the mistake is made when you validate the bias that buyers come in with. So talk to me about validating this. There's probably a lot of sellers that are making this mistake. You and I both were said that we were guilty of this early in our careers. Now, I'll give an example of a discovery call it was on. Um, I It was with an executive, so I was super excited. I prepped probably for like an hour or two, maybe even longer, trying to find all the right questions to, to ask, right? Now, I, I had at this point never thought about buyer bias, but if you think about an executive taking a sales call, their fear is this is going to be a waste of time. They're going to spend all this time asking me a bunch of questions and I'm going to end the call still not knowing anything that they can help me or not. They're still going to ask me for more time and they're going to send me emails and call my cell phone for three months until they finally give up, right? So I get on the call, not thinking about that bias. I have all my great questions planned and I begin to ask these questions and I'm like three questions in and he cuts me off. He's like, dude, you asked me for this call. Just tell me what you do. By not by not overcoming his bias, um, I'm just going to hear questions and my time is going to be wasted. As soon as I asked the first question, the second question is like bias validated. And that ended the conversation. I had to give like this lukewarm, weak pitch. It's like, cool, send me a case study. I'll get back to you. And we never spoke again, right? That is a great, that's a great story that allowed, I had a call just this afternoon where I think they got a little intimidated with the questions I was asking. And they said, I can send you an email. And that immediately, I was like, no problem. Send me an email knowing I'm never going to reply to this email. <laughs> there's, there's no way in hell. Uh, all right, we got good questions rolling in. We have one more uh, good questions in the chat. Make sure you throw those in the Q&A so that we can order them. You can upvote the ones that matter most. Before we get to the Q&A, though, I'm going to share this three-step process. Now, this is part and parcel to your course. We're not going to give away the formula, obviously. But talk to me about these three steps to sell to your ideal buyers using buyer psychology techniques. And so the, the alignment to the buyer is the whole exercise of doing your best to put yourself in their shoes. What are they worried about is going to happen on this call? What are they worried about might happen if they buy your solution and they fail implementation? What are the fears and concerns they have that they may or may not share with you proactively that we need to make sure that we're thinking about and addressing throughout the, throughout the sales cycle? The motivation piece is big. It is really hard for people to buy things. Even in good times, there's a lot of approvals that have to happen. Now it's even more, more than usual. And so the second that the buyer your main contact doesn't feel like they're going to get a personal big win from your solution, they are going to give up at the first sign of friction, right? When the CFO challenges them, hey, we already have a solution for this. It costs a lot less. Why would we even consider this? They're not going to push that hard because what's their personal win, right? And so I'm really big on not just trying to find the value for the CFO or the CMO or the executive buyer. 
that's great to get the deal done at the end. But if you're going to get the deal to the end, you need to have a highly motivated champion and people are selfish. If you don't have an individual winner for your contact, they're not going to be motivated to, to help you help you push through. And then the match your prize evaluation process is meet them where they are. Like if they're if they've already seen multiple demos from your competition by the time of your first call, that's a very different conversation than oh crap, we just realized we might have a problem. How might your solution help? You need to adapt and not just go through the exact same sales cycle, regardless of your buyers, uh, where, where the buyer is at in their journey. We need to understand that more than ever, the buyer journey happens more and more away from sales. If we are trying to like interject ourselves unnecessarily or not take into account what they're getting on their own time and trying to augment it, we're just going to, we're going to irritate them and we're not going to be valued or going to be a nuisance. Being a nuisance is often what salespeople that lose deals and, you know, to end up chasing, I call it chasing, right? If you, st- if you feel like you're starting to chase, you need to take a step back and reevaluate your approach. Uh, all right. This is a good one for this great three steps. I appreciate it. Don't worry. You guys all get the recording. Can you give some examples for Wendy and the rest of the group here of more tactical friction that you might insert? Uh, you made a mention of budget, for example. That's the specific one she'd like you to elaborate on. So what's a good way to tactically mention this and create friction with budget with you and your prospects? Yeah. So the time this most often comes up is when they just have unrealistic expectations of what it takes to, to buy something. Uh, that would actually solve their problem. So an example that I'll try to use is I will call out a very cheap way to solve their problem and then point out all the flaws to that. So if I go back to my time at Qualtrics, selling a customer experience solution, they're like, hey, we got to improve our customer experience. We need to improve our NPS. We need a solution for this. And then we're way more expensive. They're like, well, our budget's way lower. I'm like, okay, if that's your budget, you should spend zero dollars. You can go use Google Forms, you can collect the raw data for NPS, and then you can spit it into an online calculator and you can get your score. Okay. So the question is, is the problem you don't know your NPS or is the problem you don't understand what's driving your customer satisfaction and their desire to stay with you, right? Because if you want to solve that problem, your budget is out of line. If you want to solve the former problem, your budget should be zero, not $20,000 because you can do that for free. So I just try to really switch where they're thinking about and give a really clear point of why we're a premium solution because it's a different problem to solve. That's a good answer. And I love the way you did the body language, right? I'm getting them to switch from this like, no, you're if you're solving this problem, then it shouldn't cost you anything. This is where your money should be spent. But you're not doing it in that pushy way that's like, hey, you got funding. Let me tell you how to spend your funding, right? Yeah. Uh, I know you have money. Let's make this magic happen. You don't even need to know what I do. You'll buy it. That's, <laughs> let's make this transactional. Uh, this one comes from Dan, my man, Dan Drucker. Uh, how best to handle the ever-growing buying committee? And I like that he used quotes there. Uh, how do you understand the psychology of the many individuals in a dynamic group of buyers? Great question from Dan. Really, really, really good question. When I mean, you have the growing committee, so first off, there's a few reasons why a committee can grow. There's good reasons and bad reasons. The bad reason is nobody wants to own the decision. They want to pass the buck to somebody else. So if they buy it and it fails, it's somebody else's fault. If you're finding the buying committee growing and there's not really a good reason for it, chances are you don't actually have a champion. No one is owning your solution internally. They're just trying to pass the buck, right? So that's the bad example. The good example is deals require consensus. It requires multiple levels. Both those examples can be improved with, with how I'm 
going to recommend this, but please be cognizant of that. Just because somebody's introducing somebody else doesn't always mean your deal's progressing. Sometimes it means it's actually the opposite. It means that your champion doesn't want to be responsible for the, the whole thing. But it goes back to the entire premise of this. Each of those individuals has their own opinion, their own biases, their own wins, their own fears, right? And so when you're thinking about when IT gets looped down, IT is afraid of implementation being way harder than you sell into them, right? And so all of a sudden, they commit to a roadmap, they begin to implement, they fall behind schedule, and now they're getting the blame. That's a fear that they have, okay? So when you're thinking about bringing in new people, make sure you're taking a second, okay, what is this person, how does this person win from my solution? How does this person lose if the solution fails? And then build off of that. Another thing to keep in mind is, this is one reason why you shouldn't do a whole bunch of massive group meetings, right? It's much easier to go overcome bias when you're meeting with individual groups individually and then bring in a final solution to the broader group later. I like the multi-threading approach also. That is an easy way to get into the buyer psychology of that group. Uh, but all the steps that Kyle mentioned are going to get you where you want to go. So make sure that if you're in that dynamic group, you're capturing all of those agendas that are associated with those individuals. Kyle, we're going to drop your LinkedIn inside the chat right now so that people can go and connect with you there. I want to thank you guys for coming on a Friday afternoon and investing in yourself on Cinco de Mayo. Uh, think of us as you sip on those Rita's this afternoon and go follow us on social so you can get more sell better value to help you sell better. We will see you next week on Monday when we bring you another stellar guest. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Have a great weekend, everybody. Talk to you soon.